The following sermon is from Redemption Bible Church of New Braunfels, where we are proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology, in order to fulfill the Great Commission in the spirit of the Great Commandment. All right, turn in your copy of God's Word to Deuteronomy 6. Deuteronomy 6. I know it's uh, confusing because we're working our way through Exodus. And uh, let me assure you, we will get to Exodus 7 in just a minute. Um, But we're going to begin with Deuteronomy uh, 6. You know, we rang in uh, 2020 with gusto, you know, with many aspirations and expectations about what this year would look like, I'm sure. And then COVID crossed the ocean and began to affect now uh, millions of people. And then the economy shut down and uh, emptiness filled the streets out there. And then murder hornets started buzzing around and making headlines. And till then, justice and injustice and rioting then grabbed the headlines. And then the grasshoppers invaded everything. And maybe your home was like mine and like the church here where there was a few days and they were just like bouncing against every surface and against those glass windows out there. And then the rivers were shut down and then masks became mandatory and everybody lost their minds. And at the same time, that Saharan dust storm crossed the Gulf, made our eyes itchy and the air quality unhealthy. And if I didn't know any better, if I was a newspaper exegete, I would think that we were living out our own exodus and God had sent plagues upon Texas. To make things even crazier, I'm often mistakenly called Aaron, and Cade looks kind of like Moses. And so we just might be in Exodus. Well, all joking aside, today we come to a massive passage of Scripture. Today we look at uh, the first nine plagues or judgments of God. We come to this massive passage of Scripture, and I say massive for two reasons. One is because we're going to cover four chapters. And as is our normal habit of reading the entire section, today we will not, but I would encourage you this afternoon or uh, throughout this week, especially in preparation for small group, that you take the time to read over these verses. But this morning, we are going to begin with Deuteronomy 6, a summary passage, and then fly over Exodus 7 through 10 at about 30,000 feet, diving down for uh, some lessons in here. And I say massive for a second reason, because the lessons that we are about to learn are indeed massive for us as they teach us about God's character and God's ways and how we as God's people are to live in obedience. And so because we're covering some great ground, and because this is a passage of scripture that is referred to time and time again, is why we come to Deuteronomy 6. Because Moses himself, as he is writing there to the children of Israel, he gives us purpose. He gives us a lens in which to view the plagues or the judgments. And so hopefully you have found it. Would you follow along with me now as I read in Deuteronomy 6, verses 20 through 25? Listen here as I read. It says this, When your son asks you in time to come, what is the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and the rules that the Lord our God has commanded you? Then you shall say to your son, We were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And the Lord showed signs and wonders, great and grievous, against Egypt and against Pharaoh and all his household before our eyes. And he brought us out from there that he might bring us in 
Give us the land that he swore to give to our fathers. And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God for our good always, that he might preserve us alive as we are this day. And it will be righteousness for us if we are careful to do all this commandment before the Lord our God as he commanded us. Now this is God's word for God's people. And this section of scripture here gives us really the lens in which we are to view the plagues or the judgment of God as great and as grievous. As we begin to look back and these uh, events that we are still yet talking about now, as we see that we are even yet to follow after the Lord, to fear him, to walk in his ways for our good always. And these are the lessons that God is teaching us through these plagues or through these judgments and may even be doing so in our day today. See, God has a purpose for his plagues that, are, uh, that may be different than what you think. As we've been working our way through Exodus, we've established the universal need for all humanity, that everyone needs an Exodus. Everyone needs to be delivered from our bondage to sin. That just as the Israelites and their enslavement was severe, only the power of God could set them free. And any attempts to make it better typically only end in making it worse. This enslavement is severe until God begins to exert his power over the situation in the form of these increasingly severe judgments that would lead to the Israelites' deliverance. And so if you haven't yet, turn over to Exodus 7. Be a few pages back in your Bible there in the second book of the Bible. But in Exodus 7 here, I want us to just come and we're going to survey the landscape a little bit. We're going to uh, just follow along with me as we're flying over. And I want to point out the events and the flow before we get to the lessons. In uh, Exodus 6, remember, God has said it will be his power alone. It is not the power of Moses and Aaron. It is not their uh, background. It is not their giftedness that will set the people of God free. It is him and him alone, God alone, who will flex his muscles, who will with a strong hand set them free. And so he commissions, he charges Moses and Aaron then to go, and they do in chapter 7. First with the sign of, of Aaron's staff that becomes a serpent or a snake as a proof to be listened to. That these guys are sent from God, and as Pharaoh hardens his heart then, there is the unleashing of these plagues. There in chapter 7, beginning in verse 14, is the first one, as the water of the Nile River is turned to blood. And as it is, becomes blood, then after this, there is in, in chapter 8, the sending of frogs and gnats and flies that infest the entire land. In chapter 9, then, uh, the livestock begin to die. And then man and beast break out in boils as chapter 9 goes on. No living creature is as free from this as boils break out, painful boils. And then hail falls from heaven, decimates all vegetation, the crops and the trees, battering them to the ground. And if that isn't enough, then in chapter 10, locusts come and eat everything that remains. And then in great irony or great imagery then of the condition of things, darkness pervades the whole land for three days. And these great and grievous judgments then are meant to teach us some massive lessons about God. 
about his character, about his ways, and about how then we are to live. But there's a central purpose behind it all. In chapter 9, look here with me, in chapter 9, verses 14 to 16, uh, God reveals through Moses to Pharaoh why it is the central purpose of these plagues. Listen here as I read Exodus 9, 14 to 16. For this time I will send all my plagues on you yourself and on your servants and your people so that you may know there is none like me in all the earth. For by now I could have put out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence and you would have been cut off from the earth. But, verse 16, but for this purpose I have raised you up to show you my power so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. There's a central purpose here. The purpose of the plagues is this, the worldwide proclamation of the existence of God. If you're taking notes, if you're wondering why God would send these, well, here's the purpose of the plagues. The worldwide, that his name may be proclaimed in all the earth, the worldwide proclamation of the existence of God. This is why this event is remembered and recounted all throughout the scriptures. Why we still are talking about it thousands of years later, because it it puts on display simply this, that God is that God lives, that this God is unlike all others. There is no God like Yahweh. He is the one true and living God. His power is incomparable. His mercy is unfathomable. And his love is unconditional. There is none like this God, church. And from this purpose then, from these plagues, from these events that we will fly over now, we learn seven lessons from these first nine plagues. If you're taking notes, here's the first lesson, that faithfulness is continuous obedience. Faithfulness is continuous obedience. Last week, we saw at the end of chapter 6 that God is sending uh, Moses and Aaron into uh, this uh, situation knowing they would be opposed. And he makes very clear what they are to do. They are go, to go to Pharaoh and to command him that the Lord, I am the Lord, and he says, set my people free. And so Moses and Aaron, beginning in verse 7, they continue to do that. As it says in chapter 7, verse 10, that uh, Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just as the Lord commanded. And then judgment after judgment or plague after plague, they do just that. Each time they show up. Each time they show up, and in chapter 7, verse 7, we're told that they're old men. Moses is 80 at this point, and Aaron is 83. This is, even though they live longer than even our life expectancy today, they're still old men, teaching us that it is never too late to faithfully follow the Lord. It is never too late to start following the Lord faithfully, continuously, living for Him in all that you say and do. It's never too late to get started. Whatever is behind you, whatever you've done with the decades that are behind you, God is never too uh, late to use you. And they're given this difficult task. They're told that opposition would come. Remember, Pharaoh at this time is the most powerful ruler, the most powerful man on the face of the planet at that time. And they are told that they are to go and oppose him and that he would oppose them. But God would exert his influence over them, and yet, even knowing the cost, 
They faithfully show up. They faithfully do what God has told them to do. They open their mouth and proclaim the message that God has told them to do. And in these days, in the midst of the uncertainties of 2020, God is calling us to continuous obedience. He is calling us as his people to keep showing up, to keep walking with Christ, to keep honoring him day in and day out, come what may, to continue living the in and out life, the in his presence, living vertically and out among the confused world, living and shining the light of Jesus Christ and the hope and the joy that we have uh, in him, doing what he has called us to do, doing what we have to do in order that we do what God has called us to do as his children, to be living and loving the people of God, to be loving the world around us, and ultimately to be loving the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. See, in the midst of these plagues, we learn time and time again at every step of the way, Moses and Aaron are faithful to the call. They continually show up even when it is most difficult. And as they do, as they faithfully show up, here's the second lesson that we learn, that fake power will be exposed. In the midst of the judgments, in the midst of these plagues, fake power is exposed. And what do I mean by this? Well, what I mean is that God is unwilling to let any of his competition remain. His, declaration, or his judgments are declarations of war against any uh, uh, authority out there, against any spiritual force of this world. As he sends these plagues, he is declaring war on any who would claim power that rightfully belongs to him. And we see this in, uh, is starting there in chapter 7 as, the, as Pharaoh raises up his magicians, his sorcerers. Yes, sorcery is a real thing. There is a dark realm and they, he raises up these magicians who had these secret arts to try to replicate, to see, okay, it's like this battle, this competition between these two groups of people. And you know what's interesting? That, that these magicians were told, as you scan through, they're able to keep up. As uh, they come, as Moses and Aaron come with their first sign to say, let my people go, and Aaron throws down his staff and it becomes a snake in front of them. Well, somehow, by some spiritual force, the magicians are able to do it. But don't miss what happens in verse 12 of chapter 7, that Aaron's staff swallows up their staffs in a show of dominance, in a show of superiority over these inferior magicians. God would not be defeated. And then they're able to keep up, even in the first plague, as they set the Nile to blood. Somehow they're able to take another pool of water and make it do the same thing. And then with the frogs, they're able to make frogs come out. But then when it comes to the third plague of gnats, they're unable, we're told in chapter 8. They cannot replicate it. So much so then that they are rendered powerless by the time of the sixth plague and it becomes to boils. We're told then that the magicians are unable to do anything because their body is, is covered in these boils. And such is the fate of all who would compete with the Lord. They may be able to keep up for a little bit, but going toe to toe with the Lord always ends in defeat. Any sort of ideology, any person who would seek power and authority that belongs to the Lord will be defeated will be rendered powerless. And in these days, the limits of politics, of science, of economics, among other things, are being exposed. Their power, their, their authority is, is being shown as limited. 
For we find ourselves in the midst of all that is happening in our world, in the midst of this global situation that has only gospel solutions. We find ourselves in the midst of something that only the gospel can solve. And so let me just be clear for a second. What I'm not saying is that politics or science or economics are, are satanic. I'm not saying that they should be overthrown and we should abandon government and the advances of science and our economy. For these things in particular are ordained by God and are useful for our good when they are wielded rightly and when they are kept in their rightful place as means for good and not as messiahs for our deliverance. They are means but not messiahs for they are powerless to save. Only God's power alone will save us. And so even as we uh, see the limits of these things, we, are t- we see the glory, the exclusivity of the power of our God. And this leads us into a third lesson. The third lesson here is that people suffer when leaders claim power, not their own. That the people suffer when leaders claim power, not their own. Now, there's some uh, Egyptian history that you have to know that's happening uh, in uh, this scenario here. See, in those days, Pharaoh was believed to be divine. That he was the offspring of one of their sun gods, S-U-N, the sun god. And so, as such, his authority was beyond question. He was descended directly from the gods. And so who were Moses and Aaron to question him? Who were they to approach him and demand the release of two to three million people? They were, they were mere slaves. They were Hebrews. Who were they to demand this of the divine? Of course, he wouldn't give in to their commands. And as they stand in opposition, then the plagues are unleashed, causing unspeakable harm upon the Egyptian people. Imagine this, imagine being in a scenario where now your river, your source of life, your source of, of, of human flourishing is, is now turned to blood. There's no fish. Where will your food come from? And we're told as you read through it that everything begins to stink and they have to dig wells to find water. At first, the judgments are inconveniences, and then they become so painful personally, and hits begins to hit them on their body and in their pocketbook. And Pharaoh's deftness here, claiming this power to be a god that he was not, actually leads to the ruin of the people. Listen to these words from chapter 10 as it gets to the eighth plague of the locusts, and the locusts are eating everything that remains. Chapter 10, verse 7, Pharaoh's servants say to him, they say, how long will this man be a snare to us? Let them go that they may serve the Lord their God. Do you not yet understand that Egypt is ruined? He, Pharaoh, had led the whole nation in his hardness of heart towards the Lord into personal ruin. Unless you think I'm making a statement on mask mandates or government overreach or the infringement upon liberties, let me assure you that that's not what I'm doing this morning. That would miss my point, actually, and and actually make us guilty of the same thing and claim an authority and independence that is not our own. For see, we, we, uh, we are dependent upon the Lord. And what Pharaoh failed to do was humble himself before the Lord. He stood opposed to the deliverance of God's people. He stood opposed to the plan of God. And as a result, everyone suffered. 
So the lesson for us, for we who lead, for you who lead your home, your business, your workplace, your group of people, your family, a ministry, in the midst of all that is happening in this world, amidst the uncertainties of the days and weeks and months and even years ahead, the call is for us to lead humbly, to point those among us to the Lord, to point to Christ, to see uh, from an eternal perspective, to see things from a gospel-centered point of view, to see that God is still at work, that he is good, that his steadfast love endures forever, even in the midst of global chaos. And when we do this, all will go well, church. Failure to do so has drastic consequences. It leads to ruin. And then through all this, not only is God going after false powers and those who claim authority, not their own, the fourth lesson we begin to learn as we dive into these plagues is this, that God thoroughly dismantles our false gods. God thoroughly dismantles our false gods. See, the judgments weren't only against Pharaoh as the leader. God was also dismantling an entire culture and exerting his dominion over the pantheon of Egyptian gods, over their entire religious system that guided everything that they did. And now we don't have the time this morning to go into the whole system of Egyptian religion of that day. But you should know that every plague here is a specific target against one of their gods who controlled uh, the things of the natural world, from the Nile River to the animals and everything else. And each plague is a direct confrontation, a direct competition with each of their gods in which God wins. Our God wins. Now there's many works that show the correlations. If you have a study Bible there in your lap, it probably maybe even has a, a, a chart like that. I would uh, recommend if you want to go into deeper study, a study by a, a historian and a researcher with the last name of Kitchen does a great job. But all throughout this, every judgment, all along the way, God was thoroughly dismantling every God, showing that there is none like him. None can compare. None can come close. There is no God like Yahweh. He alone is God of the universe. And these judgments, much like the judgments of our day, are God's way of striking down our false idols of striking down those little G-gods that we turn to for meaning, for purpose, for entertainment, for value, for escape, for pleasure. And in God's kindness, he leaves none overlooked. He thoroughly dismantles them. One commentator says this about the scope of the judgments. He says, in effect, these were attacks on their entire worldview. Everything that helped the Egyptians to make sense of the world would crumble around them. And church, as we think of our own day, as we think of what is happening in the world around us, God in the same way has struck down many of our American idols. Many of our pursuits of comfort and pleasure as sports shut down, as restaurants closed, as theaters went dark, as gyms locked their doors and schools shuttered their campuses. See, God is jealous for his glory. He alone is to be worshipped and he will not share it with anything or anyone or any idea. Do you worship your health? We've seen in the last several months just how vulnerable 
we are? Do we worship ourselves? We've seen in the last months just how fragile we are. And God in his kindness will strike down everything and anyone who steals his glory so that his name alone will be proclaimed throughout the entire earth. And through it all, and through all these judgments, and through all of these uh, acts of God across the earth, here's our fifth lesson that we learn, that God fiercely protects his people. God fiercely protects his people. Though chock full of warnings, the plagues are also brimming with God's mercy. We see him preserving his people as he withholds the effects of these plagues from the Israelites. To give a little history, going back to Genesis 47, as you maybe remember the story, the son Joseph, through God's providence, is is, uh, elevated to the second most powerful person in the land of Egypt. And there's a worldwide famine at that point, so much so that God uses Joseph to uh, preserve the people then. And Jacob, who's Joseph's dad, and his brothers and the whole family, 70 persons, make the journey from the land of Canaan, the promised land, to Egypt. And they are given this corner of, of, the, of Egypt known as Goshen, a fertile land where they can raise their sheep and they can live in peace and prosperity, where God would bless them as they live there. And now as uh, we go several hundred years later, Joseph has died and now the people have gone from a a family of 70 to some 2 to 3 million. As the plagues are being unleashed, as the flies swarm Egypt and the livestock drop dead and as hail destroys the crops, guess what? Each of these judgments are kept out of the land of Goshen. Why? Why? Well, chapter 8, 22 tells us exactly why. It says, But on that day I will set apart the land of Goshen, where my people dwell, so that no swarms of flies shall be there, that you may know I am the Lord in the midst of the earth. See, God loves his people. And since Abraham, uh, generations before, God had set apart this family for no reason other than he loved them and chose to set his mercy on them, a family, a people who did not deserve it, who would, come, who, who would uh, time and time again uh, turn away from the Lord, who would, who would trample upon the blessings of God. And yet in his mercy, he sets his blessing on this family, multiplies them, and they become a blessing to all around them. And God in turn would bless those people But those that would seek their harm, those that would curse this family, well, they had God to deal with. For he fiercely protects his people. He preserves them like a mother bear would protect her cubs from a predator. Or like a dad who would rescue his kids from a group of playground bullies. So too, Christ protects and preserves now we who are his bride. We who are the church, we are safe in his love. In these days of uncertainty and chaos, there is one thing that is for certain. that We are secure in the love of Christ. And if there is anything that we are certain of as a church, it is the preservation of the church. Two realities. Our salvation personally and the preservation of us as a church corporately. See, as uncertainties swirl uh, around in our day towards, uh, about school and work and sports and 
Let me just tell you that no, no uncertainties exist when it comes to Christ. See, Jesus said that he would build his church. He promised in Matthew 16 to Peter and the group of disciples there, Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. And let me just tell you one thing, church, if Hades, if hell itself cannot prevail, cannot defeat the church, then neither can COVID. Then neither can the uncertainties of our day, neither can governing authorities, neither can divisive ideologies. The church stands secure for the battle was already won on the cross. Judgment has already been rendered over our sin and we stand in the righteousness of Christ. Jesus stands ready to extend his mercy to all who would embrace him. And see, this is really the sixth lesson then that we begin to see in the plagues. Not only does God thoroughly dismantle uh, any false gods, not only does he fiercely protect his people, but God is exceedingly long-suffering. God is exceedingly long-suffering. Maybe you're wondering, like, why so many plagues, Lord? Like, why, why did it take you? You know, we just looked at nine. There's a tenth one that we'll see next week here. But if you wonder, like, why? If, if you're so powerful, God, why not just, like, get it over in one fell swoop? Why not send, like, massive tornadoes or something to wipe them out and to give enough cover for them to get away? Well, why does he do it? Why? Because God is long-suffering and he wishes that none should perish. He told them why he would do this. And, and see, the multiple judgments... When we see things from a biblical worldview, the multiple judgments are also multiple opportunities for God's mercy. There are multiple opportunities for the people to repent, for Pharaoh to relent and say, enough is enough. Yes, for the people of Egypt to rise up and say, enough is enough, and God is long-suffering. And so each plague then is a billboard to get the people's attention. Each plague then is, a, is, is increasing in severity to show the Egyptians just how strong God is and how great their need for deliverance is. And so each plague hits them where it hurts to wake them up out of their stupor. In the same way as even uncertainties, as judgments, as you know, plagues of our day. As they hit us where it hurts, it wakes us up out of our stupor to see the mercy of God. And if we just look around, if we see what God is doing in our day, we will see that God is so kind. He is so patient. He is so loving with us. And we can fear what this next week will bring. What's going to happen at work? Who's going to show up with this? What headline is going to uh, grab the world's attention this week? Well, let me just tell you, come what headline may Every headline is another way God is showing us our need for deliverance. Every headline is God showing us his great mercy. And if we would just look around, we would see the great work that God is doing as he is using these days to draw people to himself, as he is exposing our need for him, as he is showing us that we are without, that we need help, as we, we we're seeking answers and we're wondering what in the world is going on. Maybe that has been your story as God has drawn you into redemption. As he's put somebody in your life. As you begin to have these thoughts that you've never thought before. As you Googled something and God brought you into this place. This is the mercy of God as he by his spirit begins to stir in you to show you your need for a savior. 
that your life is missing something so important. God himself. He has brought you to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. He has showed you that you've been living life on your own and now he's brought you into a church family that loves you and wants to come around you and help and question and answer and seek the Lord together. And God is so good. He's so long-suffering. He is so patient to use even days like today to be drawing you to himself. If only you would repent of your sin, of putting your way of living on your own behind you, of forsaking all other gods, and of turning to Christ and Christ alone. This is God's mercy. These days are God's mercy to you if you would turn to Christ and press into him before it's too late. Because here's our seventh and final point. There is a point of no return. There is a point of no return. Continuing to resist the Lord will make things only get worse. As we've seen in the previous chapters, the opening chapters of Exodus, and as you will see in every plague, in every chapter, multiple times in Exodus 7 to 10, is that Pharaoh's heart remains hard toward the Lord at every step. You'll see his heart was hardened, his heart was hardened, his heart was hardened. It is the most repeated thing in these four chapters. And initially, it is Pharaoh hardening his own heart. He will not let the people go. And then at a few points, it appears that maybe he will repent. In, 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 in the seventh plague in Hail, in, in chapter 9, it seems that, okay, he's going to let the people go. And, and it, it seems that he's going to, and then he doesn't. And then again in the eighth plague, and when the locusts come, it seems that he's going to relent and let the people go. And yet, once again, his actions prove otherwise. See, fake repentance is real. Fake turning to the Lord is real, and it is proven over time. And as the plagues here continue to go on, what once was Pharaoh hardening his heart, now we begin to see in the last few plagues that it is God himself the Lord hardens Pharaoh's heart. And this is grievous, church. This is, this is so grievous. And while we can talk about the theological implications of this and what the, you know, what the scriptures teach on these things and how do we stomach hard realities like this, we also realize the, the other points of scripture that, where God's arm is not too short to save anyone. There's no person beyond his saving. There's nothing that anyone has done that would uh, exclude them or be too powerful for the saving power of Jesus Christ. And so here's the reality. From a human standpoint, we don't know when this point is. As long as you still have breath in your lungs and a heart that is pumping blood through your veins and a mind that can think, uh, from our perspective, we continue to have hope. We continue to share the gospel. We continue to press in. But the truth is that a point does exist, one that we don't know. And so the lesson for us today is don't harden your heart. Don't harden your heart as the writer of Hebrews would warn the church in later days of this very same thing that he says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. 
Do not be like Pharaoh where the power of God is so clearly on display, where the only thing that makes sense of anything that is happening is Jesus and him alone, of his power, of his authority. When everything else is uncertain, Christ is certain. When everything else is confused, there is no confusion when it comes to the gospel's power when it comes to the sovereign goodness of the Lord our God. And so while at the same time this is a warning, it is also an invitation, a plea to come to Christ, a plea to embrace the Lord. See, the judgments are God's kind way of warning us and inviting us in, of exposing in our life where we have placed a false hope and a in a temporary or a fake even authority and to graciously offer us his hand to say, come follow me. I will make sense of things. I will give you purpose. I will give you assurance for the days ahead. These are the things that plagues teach us. These are the lessons that these judgments teach us. And though they may be challenging to see some days, I'd get that. It is no less true that the earth is full of the steadfast love of God. If only we would have eyes to see. Though challenging to see on some days, God is doing a good work in 2020 through all that is happening in your life, in our church, in our state, in our nation. If only we would look and see things from the Lord's perspective. Across the globe even, the gospel is continually being proclaimed. The church is being built up. None of this can stop the Lord. For he is working his good purposes as our gods are being diminished and Christ is being exalted among us. Amen? God, give us eyes to see this, right? Let's pray that even now as we prepare to worship. God in heaven, would you give us eyes to see? Would you give us ears to hear? Would you give us the uh, ability to see your grand purposes in the midst of all that is happening in this day? But God, we need your help. We need your, uh, we need your spirit to, to help us and to guide us now. But we want to be a people, even now as we, as we sing even now as we're here this morning, we want, uh, we want to be clear on one thing, that you alone are God. That there is none like you in all the earth. And so even as we uh, prepare, as we've heard the word and we prepare to sing now, God, we want this final song to be a declaration of our heart. We want this song to, to be another way for us to worship you and say that there is none like you that you are exalted over everything in our life, my life, my family, my marriage, my workplace, my state and city and even our nation. That Jesus, you would be exalted over all and that your name would be proclaimed. And so use us, Lord. Use these days for the advancement of the gospel so that in all the earth, I am the Lord would be proclaimed. Help us now, Christ. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Would you stand and pray?